zone. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the '80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order. Overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Firecracker, released May 1st, 1981. It was written by Ken Metcalf and Sirio H. Santiago, directed by Sirio H. Santiago, and released by New World Pictures. The trailer for the film makes the claim that lead actress Jillian Kesner was a recent grand prize winner at the Black Belt Olympics, but I was unable to confirm that the Black Belt Olympics are even a thing. In their <laughs> review of the film, under its alternate title, Naked Fist, leastworstoption.com came to a similar conclusion, stating, Nothing seems to substantiate the claim, neither are there any indications that she had any training in any field of martial arts, or any experience in hand-to-hand combat. I kind of assumed that they, the whole, re- like, the impetus for the film was like, hey, we got this really, like... That's what I thought. ...hot stunt woman who can do kung fu stuff. Let's write a movie around her. Yeah. But anytime they do something that's vaguely interesting, like a backflip, it's suddenly a guy in a dress. That's true. They, she wasn't wearing a dress. It was a jumpsuit. A jump dress. No. <laughs> Large sections of the score have been repurposed from the last New World Pictures release that we covered, Shogun Assassin. Roger Corman saw an early cut of the film, and you'll never believe what he had to hire another director to add to the film. (laughs) That's right. Was it boobs? (laughs) Both of Jillian Kesner's nude scenes, which she was vocally disinterested in doing but felt obligated. She also voiced frustration that for those two completely arbitrary scenes, there were suddenly three times as many crewmen standing around as there were for the rest of the film. (sighs) That's frustrating. Yeah. Those are all the behind-the-scenes notes I have for this <laughs> I <one>. bet. <laughs> Not a lot. We open on an arena fight in the Philippines. A competitor stands and swings some fighting sticks around for a bit. Across the ring kneels his competitor, a white guy in a Tai Chi uniform with lions on both shoulders and a 70s mustache with a black bandana. We will come to know this man as Chuck Donner. Who will never be seen without a stupid lion on his shirt. Yeah. <laughs> Up in the private viewing booth, we see a group of presumably important people shaking hands as the match is beginning. The next guy swings around some nunchucks in front of Chuck, but he's unfazed. We get a quick insert of a white woman in the crowd photographing the match. Does Chuck have any nunchucks? He has none. You can't chuck the Chuck. (laughs) A third fighter swirls a naginata around, which is basically a long staff with a single-edged blade on one end. It seems Chuck will get to choose his opponent from these three men and selects the naginata fighter. I wouldn't have chosen, I mean, I guess that's showing confidence, but I don't feel like I would have chosen the one with, with a the knife on the really long yeah. stick. <laughs> that's the Donatello of this fight. You don't want it. He can, he can hit you from the top of a stack of boxes. That's a Nintendo yeah, Ninja yeah, Turtles yeah. reference. In the private booth, we see a gray-haired man named Eric, who owns the arena, seated behind his assistant, Malou. In the ring, Chuck makes quick work of his opponent, who it seems was not invited to bring his weapon to the fight. Oh wait, now Chuck punches him across the ring and he finally goes for the Naginata. The woman in the audience takes more pictures, but is suddenly collected by two henchmen and lifted forcibly from her seat out of frame. I watched uh, parts of this movie twice because originally we had a a poor copy of it and then we found it on Amazon for free with ads and it was a much better copy of it. And I didn't even notice them taking her the first time I watched it. (laughs) Or I was like, oh, they're just, you know, like... She's sitting in, in the wrong spot. They're just enforcing like a no picture policy yeah. or something yeah. like that. Like it just doesn't even register that this is at all significant. But until... it's very important. Yeah. <laughs> I, I also thought this was just like a friendly bout, like end of karate yeah. kid type bout. Yeah. <laughs> like uh, an was... exhibition round or something. Yeah, this yeah. isn't a championship or anything important. It's like, why can't she take pictures? This is going to go, oh God. <laughs> Chuck manages to evade the weapon long enough to wrestle it away from his competitor and then skewers him with the blade, (laughs) lifting him into the air on the end of the stick. Chuck has won the match, which was apparently to the death, 
and Eric smiles wryly in his booth. Now we just need the guy to go, get him a body bag. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's less ironic. <laughs> Chuck tears the dead fighter's dog tags off and lifts them in the air. We cut to an insert of strands of firecrackers exploding across the screen, and the title wipes over the shot. We get an insert of Jillian Kesner punching toward camera to accompany her name in the opening credits. She continues practicing between the titles with all the other names. But I think that this is the only reference in the entire film to the fact that it's named Firecracker. That is correct. (laughs) We see a plane landing on a runway and cut to a woman identifying herself as Susanna Carter in a hotel lobby. She's paying for a one-night stay. Two men make note of her arrival and follow her to her room. By the time they get there, she's already partly undressed and catches them rifling through her dresser, and she quickly kicks the shit out of them in her underwear, and they're eventually thrown through walls. But we don't really get any sort of closure on this scene. Yeah. We just cut away without resolving that. But these guys are just, like, random dudes that are trying to take advantage of a tourist, right? I think so, yeah. Like, like there's so many fights in this movie that are never really explained. It's just people show up and fight her. But all of the scenes that seem so arbitrary are always the ones where she's in her underwear. That Yes, I think that's true. Which means they were added They were later. added. Okay, yeah, just like I feel like it's weird to be like random dudes followed her into ho- her hotel room to, I guess, rob just her? steal, steal things. But wouldn't you go for the suitcase that she brought in and like not go through the drawers immediately? I feel like people don't put stuff in the drawers the second they get to their hotel room. But maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I do things wrong. (laughs) We never learn who these hotel burglars are affiliated with moving forward. And apparently, again, according to leastworstoption.com, the scene is recycled whole cloth from director Santiago's 1974 film, TNT Jackson, and is reused again in 1993's Angel Fist. Not literally the same footage, but just the action of the scene where a woman checks into a hotel, there are people robbing her room, and she beats them up. I didn't know if it was just like they superimposed her <laughs> over the previous fighters. Just, yeah. No, just to... the, the only insert with a face in it got switched yeah. out. We see Susanna in a taxi to Alangapo City. She enters a bar and asks a bartender if Pete is around. Hi, how you doing? Is Pete around? I'm Pete. What do you need? Vanessa Goodman. Do you know her? She rents a room for me. She hadn't been around for weeks. Sounds like you keep pretty close tabs on her. Does it? He hasn't seen her in weeks, and he's still charging (laughs) her for this room. Seems like a loose tab to me, or is she just impressed that he knows the name of one of his tenants? He explains that he's been trying to deliver her a telegram since she's been gone. Susanna claims to have written the telegram and then asks to see it, which is suspicious already. Right. Because if you wrote it, (laughs) you have the least to learn from seeing it. I'm Susie Carter, Bonnie's sister. Vanessa Goodman's just a bylon. Hey, Ray! Where's that telegram of Bonnie's? So apparently Pete and Ray were good enough friends with Bonnie to know her real name. Really hoping there's a Winston and an Egon working here too to cover all of the original Ghostbusters. They lead her to Bonnie's abandoned room and find the telegram, which she confirms is the one she sent. I don't know what the point of that was. Well, I guess just to make sure that she didn't ever come back to get it. I guess, or that she's at the right hotel in the first place. Like maybe another Bonnie pretending to be a Vanessa was here. Nope, (laughs) this is the right one. While Susie's in the room with Ray, a riot suddenly breaks out back in the bar. Fifteen guys jump Pete all at the same time, and he throws them off like nothing. Who are these guys? I have no idea. I don't know what what caused this fight to start, other than wouldn't it be cool if these people were fighting now? I know. This is my my biggest problem, I think, with this whole movie, is everybody is randomly fighting with no reason. Yeah, there's no motivations for anything. Ray and Susie join the fight, and between the three of them, the whole crowd of fighters is dispensed with handily. There's a moment in the fight where Susie is swinging a pool cue around, and it looks like more than once she actually connects with the faces of her scene partners. There's a short bit here where Susie is jumping up on a pool table, backflipping off of it, but suddenly her hair is platinum blonde, and she's facing away from the camera for the full shot, so I'm pretty sure she's been swapped out for a stuntman. I'm guessing it's because she couldn't do the backflip. Maybe. That's possible. You know, it was just something that wasn't in her repertoire. Because it happens again later in the movie, but I think that's also someone swapped out for her. And it's also a backflip from higher up, which might be um, easier to do than from the height of a pool table. 
For the entire several minute scene, we hear maybe three stock punch sounds and three mm-hmm. stock grunts. So the audio not is just very repetitive. Not well, yeah, just no, this the scene. whole movie. The entire movie has about three sounds that they rotate through for every hit. Yeah. The, the most egregious comes later when they go to the compound, Chuck's compound, where he trains. Where they're training just people, yeah. Constantly the same sound over and over and over and over. It's like playing Kung Fu on NES. Yeah. Pete is impressed with Susie's fighting prowess, and they have a nice little chat while they're knocking dudes out. Hey, you're okay. How did this happen anyway? They're looking for trouble? Let's give it to them. That's as much as we get in terms of motivation for this this scene. We hard cut from the midst of the fight to the good guys hanging out in Bonnie's room looking for clues. Susie tells Pete that her sister never went anywhere without her camera, so she's concerned to find it here. But assuming her sister is the one that was kidnapped from the arena, she had a camera with her, just not this specific camera. But that was like a spy camera because it was little. It was still very clearly a camera, though. <laughs> it wasn't shaped like a like a box of M&Ms or something. Pete is weirdly hesitant to admit that the girl that has been missing for weeks might be in danger. What makes you think she's in trouble? She told me. She said she couldn't explain it on the phone. She's probably out visiting some friends. What? <laughs> she told me she was in trouble and then she disappeared. <laughs> Susie's surprisingly willing to hand over Bonnie's camera to Pete, who just pops it open right yep. away, potentially uh, ruining the undeveloped film within. Oh, God, I was so mad. I, it's in all doing? It's in all caps on my nose. Don't open the camera. <laughs> but they have a dark room. Well, it also <laughs> looks like... It. But it, it seems like they're kind of implying that they're already in the dark room, though, because this whole scene is very dimly lit and tinted red. And then we go to an official dark room from here. <laughs> but they, they, I think they realized that he shouldn't have opened the camera there. So, so they were they like, can we make the scene look darker and darker <laughs> so that it looks like they're not doing this in the regular room? <laughs> we see them developing a photo and we get a picture of Chuck Donner. Both Pete and Ray warn her that this guy is trouble. Works down the arena for Eric Stollard. Drugs, prostitution, gambling. I don't think you want to meet him. Guess again. Evidently, Susie's already enamored from just this one picture. Or she just really needs drugs. She takes a taxi to the arena where an exhibition fight is about to take place on stage. Eric notices her enter the club and sends Chuck to intercept her. Woman who walks into my place like she's looking for something is not just another dame. Now check her out. Yes, sir. Weirdly, Chuck approaches Susie and informs her that the club is off limits to military personnel and their dependents. I don't know what that meant at all. I mean, I think he's implying that you're an American. She's clearly an American, or mm-hmm. at least a foreigner. She's not from the Philippines, and right. so she's probably in the military or related to somebody in the military. But I don't know what the point of saying military people can't come into this club is. Because they're doing really illegal shit? Yeah. But the, if you're going to the Philippines and you're going into random clubs at night, I doubt you're caring that much, even if you're a serviceman. I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, think- you don't have any, like powers to arrest people for doing illegal stuff in the philippines if you're an american gi i don't know who knows well i guess maybe uh a liability issue would be that if one of the gis goes up and tries to fight somebody oh then it becomes a liability situation yeah. okay this is like just just don't let them in no international incidents but it's be just as bad if she went up there oh of course <laughs> she assures him that she is neither military personnel nor a dependent We cut back to the fight for a second and then back to her table where Chuck is suddenly sitting across from her receiving drinks like they're on a date now. She tells Chuck that she's just here looking for a gym. I mean, there are many gyms in this town. Why this club? I need a place to work out. If I can get paid for doing it, so much the better. You put me on? Try me implying that she's interested in competing alongside their fighters on the stage. Chuck steps away to Eric to deliver this pitch. Chuck tells her to pay close attention to this next fight to see if she's sure she wants the job. There's no holds barred, but Susie is not impressed with what she calls kid stuff. I truly admit that this was the first time I actually realized that no holds barred was a wrestling term oh. or a fighting term because I never... I, I guess I never questioned what it meant. Yeah. I mean, I knew that I knew contextually what it that meant. That there's no limits. But there's yeah. no, that there's no limits. But I didn't realize that oh, holds like a wrestling hold. Right. No holds barred. Right. I get it now. There you go. Learning. <laughs> the more you know. <laughs> I thought it was holes. 
<laughs> there is a podcast called No Holes Barred where a couple of ladies talk about sex and stuff. But they don't have any holes. <laughs> what? No, and they sing anything. They're not barred. They're barred? <laughs> they're any bards? holes go. <laughs> oh, okay. That makes sense. The fight ends with one fighter breaking the other one's arm. Chuck turns to her for confirmation that she's still interested. If the money's right. I'm not talking money. I'm talking physical punishment. He bets 500 bucks that she wouldn't last three minutes with Bruno, the fighter on stage. And we cut right to the fight happening. Chuck and Eric are impressed with her form, and she manages to pin Bruno at the end of the fight. Later, Chuck tells her that they're going to discuss bringing her on and get back to her. Don't call us. We'll call you. She notices Ray followed her to the club to be sure she had a ride back, and they leave together. Why don't you drive me here? You could have saved me cab fare. Yeah. yeah. You just followed me and just watched me while I was here? Eric is concerned by her abilities, and Chuck relays her background. She's good. Too good. She's a martial arts teacher. Six Dan Black Belt. Owns her own dojo in L.A. Out here on vacation. Eric isn't buying it and asks Chuck to keep tabs on her. Back at the hotel bar, her friends advise Susie to pretend that she's here learning Arnis, the national martial art of the Philippines that incorporates fighting sticks in combat. They tell her there's a guru with a school nearby that her sister once interviewed for a story. Chuck enters the bar and leads her away from the group. Unclear how he found her here, or why he wasn't at all concerned to find her staying at the same hotel as the very similar-looking journalist character who they recently kidnapped. He takes her out for a meal at a fancy restaurant. I think it might be the one that's attached to the arena, actually. Mm. She admits she's surprised by their second technical date of the evening. Well, it's not every day a fox like you comes into town. I'd be a fool to pass up this opportunity. Eventually, though, he admits that he's here strictly for research purposes. Yeah, you know what would have been a better line? Not every day a firecracker like you comes in. <laughs> oh, hey, there you go. <laughs> that would have been a better line. Tie it into this title that makes no sense. <laughs> Later that night in Eric's office, Chuck reports his findings, and another local man named Grip is very suspicious of her motives. Yeah, she's fine. She doesn't want to cause problems for anyone. Yeah, well, she better not. She wants to work here. Screw her! I intend to, but that's not the point. Whoa. Chuck happens to think that hiring her would be great for business, though weirdly he suggests that this white lady could really add some color to the games. <laughs> <laughs> Eric is not ready to commit to hiring her. We get a brief mention here of some kind of transaction taking place soon. Grip's contacts have assured him that the merchandise will be ready on time, and apparently it's Chuck's job to have the money in time for the deal to go down. We cut to Susie riding on the back of Ray's motorcycle down a mountain road, and instead of a score, they somehow found a tape of me practicing the flutophone in the second grade. <laughs> you can kind of hear my brother jamming on the didgeridoo in the background there, too. Ray finds the Arnis school in the mountains, and Susie is presented to the guru. She says that she wants to learn Arnis to complete her martial arts training, and the guru informs her that Arnis emphasizes defensive moves. We cut back to Eric's office, where his assistant, wife, girlfriend, is preparing medicine, heroin, for Eric. <laughs> she warns him that this girl could mean trouble down the line, and he says he's on top of it. The next day... Chuck wanders through a marketplace, and Susie follows close behind, and yet another team of men follow her. I think they were originally following Chuck and got distracted with this girl, and they grab her to start a fight. Am I supposed to know who these dudes are? Not yet. Not yet, yeah. Okay. But they grab her to start a fight, and we see Chuck take off in a motorized canoe. Susie beats the crap out of a few of them. <laughs> I feel like there's got to be a name for I a Googled it. <laughs> I couldn't find it. I couldn't figure out what it's called. There's a Bangkok, but it's a little different. It's got these railings on the sides of it. It's a motorized canoe. I don't fucking know. Is it one of those long tail boats? Sure. <laughs> if you think I didn't like, Google this for like 45 minutes in the middle of my notes. I believe you. Sure. What's that? It's a long tail boat. A long tail boat. <laughs> Because they, they, they're outboard motor, like here, you can see here, they're outboard motor. Like yeah. The, it, the, the drive shaft goes way out into the water. Isn't there one in uh, Man with the Golden Gun where he throws the kid overboard and steals yeah, yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Roger Moore was the best Bond. Hot takes. <laughs> 
Susie beats the crap out of a few of these guys and then runs off until she comes around a corner to find a gun in her face. I was hoping this would not be necessary. I could scream and call the police, you know. I am the police. What's the point of announcing that you could scream for the police instead of just doing that? Because this guy could pull the trigger at any time and end you without you screaming. We cut to them driving together and he asks her to lay off Chuck Donner because he's trying to conduct his own investigation into Bonnie's disappearance. So were those other two guys also police? Yes, they were. Okay, sorry. I was not clear on yeah. that. <laughs> no, this, this took me a while to decode some of the scenes, but that's what was going on there. She agrees to stay out of the way and we cut to the day of the big transaction and the trading parties are meeting at an enormous parade. Chuck hands off the money to Grip to make the delivery and Grip enters a small shop where he's led to the back room and invited to sample the product. They seem to be buying a papier-mâché mask full of a white powder. A pair of cars approach a floodway, preparing to drive through the shallow water across the top. On a nearby hillside, Chuck is coaching a team of gunmen how to attack the caravan. He advises them to scare away the men and steal the product. So apparently when he said scare, what he meant was, all open fire at once. Yeah. Sorry, just because at this point I'm getting a little confused. Because the deal went down. The deal went down. Money was paid for drugs, right. and the drugs and the were guy, being driven back. And the guy taking the drugs works for Eric, works for the club. Yes, Grip yep. is driving Grip. the drugs back to Eric right. right now. But Chuck also works for the club, right. but he's double-timing them in theory, attacking that's what it, That's this. what it looks like from this scene, right. yes. Okay, just making sure I follow. From yes. this scene, it but, looks like Chuck is you know, going rogue and attacking this to benefit himself right and he's not being careful enough for my taste in disguising the fact that he's involved with this yeah, hijack because he should have been with grip yeah and told his men just don't, don't shoot, shoot at this part yeah. of the car yeah but instead he just lets them shoot all over the car and the cars are quickly perforated in a hailstorm of bullets grip in the passenger seat of the second car shouts at the driver to reverse across the waterway but their path is quickly blocked by another car and they all evacuate jumping into the river to swim to safety gunmen from the blockade car run up to grip's vehicle and shoot open the trunk to reveal a bunch of paper mache masks with bags of drugs inside each one back at the arena eric's assistant wife character malu is watching some practice fights from the luxury box when grip and his men angrily storm into the ring to inform eric that the product was stolen because some of them, some of them got shot, but some of them got away by right. just swimming down whatever yeah, water. Yeah, it looked like is. all four people in Grip's car got away. Right, but the other, but the other car was up. up front and got yeah. yeah, just demolished. I want that shipment back. I want the bastards who ripped me off. We cut to Chuck running full speed down a road, and Susie following in a horse-drawn rickshaw. A carload of Grip's men see this going on and pull up in front of Susie to yank her out of the vehicle. They drag her into a neighboring warehouse where they fight for a bit on the way to the arena. Susie is presented to Grip and expected to answer questions for him, but she isn't able to satisfactorily answer any questions, instead insisting that she's even more confused than Grip is and has no idea why she was brought here. Grip presents a cobra in a cage and claims it's his version of truth serum. You answer the question correctly. The snake stays locked up. You tell a lie, it is released. He quizzes her on her recent movements, and she claims to be a tourist mostly, but eventually divulges the reason for her visit to learn the Arnis technique. Grip isn't buying it and repeatedly asks her her real porpoise here. What is your porpoise here in Olongapo? He accuses her of working with the police, and she only admits that she was recently picked up for questioning. What is your real porpoise here in Olongapo? It seems Grip has placed the blame for the floodway ambush on Susie and her cooperation with police, but she's actually being completely honest when she claims ignorance of this entire situation. Yeah. So the truth serum works. It works. She's telling the truth. Except for that she came here to learn our niece, which she did not. I would have thought Grip would have seen Chuck or recognized some of his men conducting the ambush, but apparently he couldn't identify anyone involved. His patience expended... Grip releases the cobra and stupidly stands in the ring with Susie and the snake. So she grabs the snake and does a backflip onto the fence around the ring and tosses the cobra like a scarf onto Grip's shoulders and he's immediately losing his shit. Okay, so I watched this flip with the snake like it's five times. It's playing in reverse. Okay, I just wanted to confirm. Yeah. I'm like, this has got to be backwards. There's no way somebody did this no. forwards. She does, she does a front flip down into the ring and then... They reversed it. Yeah, they to, played it backwards. Yeah. Okay. That makes way more sense. 
She starts beating up his henchmen on her way out of the arena when Chuck shows up and compliments her form. You have the situation well in hand. You might say I had to snake my way through. I don't get it. <laughs> he wasn't there for the snake part. He doesn't get your joke, lady. <laughs> I, I don't get her joke, really. He invites her out for a drink, even though I thought she was still mid-escape fight. Also, she's had not only Bonnie's friends warn her that this guy's into drugs and prostitution and murder, but now she also knows that the police are actively investigating him, right. him as a suspect in her murder. Right. But he's so cute, though. I mean, look at his mustache. You yeah. could turn that down, you're telling me? Back at his place, she's impressed with the decor, but he's fuzzy on where his money comes from. We cut to Eric, sparring with underlings beside his home, and again, Malou is telling him that she doesn't trust this Susie character. Uh, I, I love this scene because when she- <laughs> fake fight? Well, not, not only the fake fight, but she pours him a drink, and for some reason, the audio, the, all the foley is right on that glass. And it's like the most perfect pour from like an orange <laughs> juice commercial- yeah, it's just like, what is this? Why did you Why did you bring that fully up so much? Yeah. That should have been really in the background, but it's so much in the foreground. Eric's a fan of loud drinks. Malou is telling him not to trust this Susie character, especially now that she seems connected at the hip to Chuck, who plans to take her to see the training camp. Turns out Eric ordered that tour because he senses her killer instinct, and he wants her to know that they condone fighting to the death. Chuck walks Susie through the extensive training camp. This is where the, the audio yes. bothered you a lot. Uh, so uh, I showed this scene to my father. Yeah. Because I was like, you know, I was, I was talking about the movie. Like, they filmed part of it in some kind of old fort. And he's like, was it Corregidor? And I said, I, I don't know. And so I showed him the scene and we found photos of Corregidor of these exact the, those large cannons that are in the background. Oh, interesting. Um, it's it's interesting. It's in the Philippines, I assume. It's, it's in the Philippines. They filmed all. They actually did film in the Philippines. Yeah. Did your uh, dad serve there? Uh, no, no, oh. but he was familiar with it. Okay. Uh, but it, so all those cannons are still there. But in this, in the film, in the eighties, they're all rusted. Uh, modern oh, they pictures. Cleaned they've cleaned them up and polished oh, nice. them back up, so everything looks nice. After the tour, they even do a little sparring themselves. But Chuck bests her in the ring. Eric invites her to tonight's main event. Back at the arena, Susie's in the private booth watching Bruno in a particularly brutal match. At the end of the fight, he gets the guy in a headlock and snaps his neck. Susie is disturbed at the sight of the sanctioned kill, and when Eric asks if she's ready for this kind of event, she expresses reservations. Eric tells her fighting without killing is just a game, but that applies to most games, I would guess. <laughs> People still watch things like baseball yeah. and football. Yes, I don't think they need to die. <laughs> playing baseball without murdering people is only a game, though. I, I mean, I always watch okay. on the off chance that a murder does happen. Right. I keep very wait, rarely. I keep waiting for that this last isn't Boy NASCAR. Scout moment. <laughs> yeah. Later that night, Susie gets out of a cab in a dark part of town and is pursued by two horny, persistent men. She pushes past them into a warehouse, and the men follow quickly. Her dress is caught on the chain link fence outside and she tears the skirt off to stay ahead of them. She races up to a security guard on the property and points to the men following her. The guy has his gun drawn and pointed at her attackers, but he lets them get close enough to knock it out of his hand and then they kick him to the ground where he's impaled on a scythe and then one of the attackers puts a foot on his chest to push him down further on the blade. This was the only moment that had a reaction from me yeah because i was watching it <laughs> wait this was the only moment well that that had or an audible reaction where i went <laughs> oh shit the, the stab through this, the chest yeah. this was my first oh shit my second oh shit is coming right up yeah <laughs> Susie climbs up some stairs and waits for the men to follow her up when she tries to shove one off the ladder he gets a hand on what's left of her dress and tears the rest away leaving only her underwear the men climb up as she climbs down on a different section and runs through a hallway filled with film cans. Yes. <laughs> in what like looks like an clearly, office building. Clearly their production office. <laughs> yeah. She pauses for a moment to remove her high heels, which have thus far impeded her escape. The number one thing running through my mind the entire time she's running away is take your shoes off, take your shoes off. And yeah. she has not taken her shoes off to this but point. But she eventually did. She did. I'm just saying it's like, what's her face in the Jurassic World? Yeah, I'm like, yeah. take your goddamn shoes off. But they're just dinosaurs. <laughs> T-Rex can run up to 30 miles an hour. They made a point of saying that in the first movie. 
Barefoot, she pops out of the office and kicks her two stalkers to the ground, taunting them with a come-over-here finger before disappearing around another corner. While she's running, they run past the dead cop again. Right, yeah. And I was like, oh, quit showing the dead cop. I'm already really upset about it. It's also funny that she didn't react to it at all because she wasn't standing there when the when he got killed. Yeah. And yeah. she just runs past it like, oh, I guess that's what happened to that guy. Yeah. <laughs> but she runs and stops next to a table with a circular saw. And a man tries to level her with a high kick and accidentally taps the on button for the saw. So Susie shoves the guy's face into it. <laughs> seemingly by accident. Ugh. The survivor corners Susie and slashes toward her with a sickle, cutting her bra in half, leaving her in just panties for the rest of this fight. Coincidentally, they're fighting amongst stacks of boxes labeled Rackmaster. <laughs> the two square off, and eventually she kicks him to the ground and beats him unconscious with a bow staff. We cut back to Eric's home, where Grip wait, informs wait, wait. him. Sorry. You're not going to mention the thing that you read oh, on the imdb yeah. the dumb it's thing it's for sure not true so i, I wasn't gonna mention it <laughs> on imdb trivia it says that uh the cutting the bra in half was just a complete coincidence that happened on set and they just went with it it's like wait hold on a second you you set up the camera and you lit for an insert of just her breasts and then literally swung an actual scythe right in front of her and you weren't trying to cut the bra in half i don't believe you there's no way that didn't happen on purpose we cut back to Eric's home, where Grip informs him that a second deal has been arranged with the suppliers to make up for the lost product. If I were Eric, I would assume that the suppliers that sold me the stuff immediately ripped me off, because how many other people know where these drugs are going to be and when? Malou asks when the new deal is happening, and Grip says he's not going to chance it by telling anyone if he doesn't have to. Eric insists that Grip bring Chuck along to avoid another interception. Grip puts up a fight but Eric threatens to cancel the deal if his interests aren't protected. We cut to the bar, where Susie takes a call from Chuck announcing he's going incommunicado for a few days, and she has no questions whatsoever. Yeah, and they're, and they're super, like, cute and bubbly on the phone. And at this point, I'm questioning, is Chuck actually a bad guy? I saw him murder somebody. Yeah, did they just frame yeah. him? Was Did he like, kill a bad guy? Like, is he training, like, an army to fight Eric? Like, what yeah. is happening? But on the phone, he's just like, hey, I'm going to be gone for a few days. And she's like, great. Love you. We cut back to the mountains where Susie appears to have followed Chuck to the location of the drop. Chuck is watching a small dancing ceremony waiting for the deal to go down. We see step farming all the way down a hillside. And I'm assuming this is where some of the drugs are coming from. But I don't know. Maybe it's just the trade is happening here. A small helicopter circles the mountaintop and a man hops out with a small box. I guess this is all the drugs they're buying this time? It's very, very small yeah, it box. Yeah, seem, it seems like a lot less than when you filled all the mache, paper mache heads with it. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe uh, take it slow if you're worried about people ripping you off now. I guess. It's it's like the size of three Rubik's Cubes. That's how much whatever they're buying. Yeah, it looks like a safety deposit box. Yeah. Mm. Chuck tosses Grip a small backpack full of cash to exchange for the box. Susie watches the handoff with a concerned look as Grip again tastes the merchandise. The chopper takes off again, having made the drop, and we see Susie hop on a motorcycle to race out of there with new information. Unfortunately, as she starts the bike, Malou... How, sorry. sorry, just to back it up a step. Yeah. How did Susie know where to be? She followed him. But, like, did did she follow him the whole way? Like, I, She's been following him this whole movie so far. I don't I know, assume. they don't really show her getting there. She, well, she has a motorcycle. I assume that she just went straight to the arena when he said i'm gonna be gone for a few days and she's like okay cool well i'll just park over here and i'll wait for you to go and hopefully the cops or grips people don't yank me away from being your tail yeah it just seems a little outrageous that she was able to follow him all the way up this secluded mountain yeah unfortunately as she starts her bike malou comes around the corner in a car sees her and a chase ensues susie comes tight around a corner and falls off her bike in the fakest crash possible malou catches up with her and puts a gun in her face I don't want to use this. Don't make me. We cut to Malou still driving with Susie in the passenger seat now, as she admits that she's working deep undercover for the narcotics unit. I'm Malou Suarez, Lieutenant JG. Undercover. Narcotics Division, Anti-Narcotics Unit. Policewoman. Why bother putting a gun in Susie's face then? If you know that she's not a bad guy. The other cops already checked her out and determined that she's one of the good guys in this situation. Malou knows everything about Susie and her search for her sister. The only info she can provide is that Bonnie found out about the dope runs also 
and Eric didn't like that. We cut to Grip in one car and Chuck in another, moving down a dirt road. Chuck tells someone to activate explosives, and suddenly all around Grip's car, dirt is being blasted into the sky. The car skids to a stop, and he climbs out with the box full of drugs that he just bought. A group of gunmen run down the hills to collect it from him. We cut right to Eric's office, where Grip and Chuck are being chewed out together for letting another shipment slip through their fingers. After Grip leaves, Malou sits down to play backgammon with Eric, and we learn that Eric has been ordering Chuck to intercept the shipments this whole time. <laughs> Which I guess is just to cut Grip out of his share of the score. Well, I think he Grip is the middleman right now. And, right. And, and won't reveal his suppliers. Right. But uh, hopefully, you know, that he'll be able to get in touch with them if he messes up these plans enough. Do you recall the last time we saw two characters playing backgammon? No. The hand. Ugh. Michael Caine and his daughter. I still the don't remember. <laughs> to go to the grocery <laughs> they were playing store. backgammon? Yeah, when he was like asking her what she wanted to eat and she said she's on a diet. Oh, okay. Do you remember the time before that that backgammon was mentioned but not played? No. It was when the Hollywood agent asked if Jan Michael Vincent had oh. it. <laughs> In he hard like, country. No, I don't have that. <laughs> we cut to a scene where the cop from the marketplace meets with Malou to collect information. All she has for him is that a deal has been set, but Grip is keeping all the specifics top secret. The cop guy says that he will keep everyone on high alert for the next 48 hours. We also find out here that Malou lied to Susie and knows exactly who to ask about Bonnie's whereabouts. Oh yes, about Bonnie Carter. You talk to Ching. He knows. We cut right to the morgue, where Susie is being asked abruptly to identify her sister's body. Really? This isn't a rescue mission? We don't even see the girl again. Susie peeks under the sheets and just starts sobbing. I thought for sure this was going to be the wrong person. Yes. Yeah. This entire scene, I'm waiting for her to say, that's, that's not, not her. her. So that they could go and save her. Right. <laughs> but nope, she's dead already. We cut back to Chuck's fancy apartment where he stares himself down in a mirror, spinning butterfly knives on his fingers when Susie busts in, a complete wreck. He holds her and she cries not wanting to explain why, when suddenly a cat from another dimension crashes <laughs> full speed into Chuck's vanity. What is happening here? I don't know. I was so confused. It sounds like this cat just popped out of the singularity. It's. I think it was punched by Michael Caine straight, yeah. <laughs> straight into a different movie. <laughs> That's definitely what happened. But then the cat jumps face first into another mirror, shattering it before dashing across the room the other way. I think it's bad luck to break a mirror with a black cat. <laughs> but apparently this was the ultimate aphrodisiac because right. now it's time. What why okay, I I have such issues with this. Why did she come here when she's distraught? To get dicked. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. By the suspect in her sister's murder. But she knows that this dude has something right. even tangentially to do with her sister's kidnapping and murder. Right. Why are you here? To get that D. <laughs> Jesus Christ, I don't understand. Like, I, I, <laughs> I, I kept thinking this was just, like, building up to her getting Doing him, something to trap him. Well, yeah. getting him into a compromising position so that she could seek her revenge. But no. Chuck carries Susie to the bedroom where they use the butterfly knives to cut each other's clothes off. Which Chuck we could see, which we could use the mirrors on the ceiling to see all over. Right, yeah. <laughs> Chuck turns off the normal lights and turns on the purple fuck lights. <laughs> he takes off her shoes and starts cutting off her clothes from the bottom of her pant legs up. Keep in mind, this is his place and she doesn't have a second outfit here. Right? That's going to be one walk of shame. Yeah. Going home I mean, she already did one the other day. Yeah. She was literally just wearing panties when she left that fight in the warehouse. Was she even wearing panties at the end? I think so. Yeah. Although okay. I did joke that at the end, like a bird would just swoop down and steal her underwear. <laughs> it's like the logic of this film. Clothes just don't like my body. <laughs> he cuts open her shirt and gropes at her breasts until she reels back and slaps him completely off the bed onto the floor, apparently as a goof. Like, I thought this was the turn where she was going to start beating the shit out of him. And I was like, nope, that was just to be funny. She thought he'd like it. I guess. And he did. She takes off the tatters of her clothes, and it's her turn to alter his outfit. <laughs> this is played like it's in any way arousing when it's only terrifying and no thank you. 
<laughs> she's dragging a knife up his pant leg toward his crotch until she gets right. past the belt line. It's Noted. like, Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> they seem to be lined up completely wrong for sex, but they make out furiously. Susie starts whispering sweet nonsense in his ear. I can feel the blood pulse inside your head. What? Sexy Wait, talk. which head? Which head are we talking about? <laughs> We cut to Eric's place where Chuck is getting lectured for dumping Bonnie's corpse where the police could find it easily. Grip suggests canceling tonight's handoff, but Eric suddenly thinks the murder investigation will be a useful distraction from their plans tonight. Malou pretends to read a book so that nobody sees how excited she is to know the time for the handoff. We see Malou and the dude cop in the bar of Susie's hotel, and she lets him know first that she believes she's being followed. Maybe don't what? meet him in person then? Especially at this location. And why are you even here? Yeah. If you, like, go somewhere else because you think you're being followed. Don't go and lead them to the people that you need to yeah. bust this up. How about this? Instead of suggesting a time and place to meet, just relay the time and place when shit is going down. You don't have to say, meet me at this restaurant at this time. Say, meet the bad guys at this place yeah. at this time. <laughs> Click. Yes. Or Mal- dead drop. A yeah. dead drop is always the best way. Yeah. That's how they found Bonnie. Exactly. <laughs> Whoa. Perfect. Malou also informs him loud enough for Susie to hear that Chuck was personally responsible for her sister's murder, which we've been dancing around this whole time and somehow she hasn't picked up on it. Are you sure about that? I'm sorry. Susie flies out the door to a taxi before anybody can stop her. She's headed directly to Chuck's place, but he's not there as she searches it, frantically shouting his name. She finds a bracelet of her sister's and a jewelry box on Chuck's dresser. Back at the bar, a couple of Grip's fighters arrive, and a shootout ensues between them and Tony and Malou, the two police. Both henchmen are killed, and Malou takes one in the gut. Tony promises her vengeance, and she dies. We cut to Susie calling Eric from Chuck's place. She's demanding a spot in tonight's fight to the death. He agrees to whatever terms she can come up with because he thinks the show could do good business. Grip pops into Eric's office to announce the merchandise is here downstairs. Eric starts to head to the private booth when Chuck comes out and blocks Grip's path, armed with his knives. Grip's sidekicks manage to take all the stabs while Grip sneaks around to make an escape. Chuck sees Grip at the bottom of a flight of stairs and tosses his knives down where they sink deep in Grip's back, killing him. We cut right to Eric spilling the beans to the cellar and giving his whole game away. I lied to you. I purposely ripped off my own shipment deceived you into thinking that I needed to work out some sort of direct credit arrangement with you. My apologies, gentlemen, for that little misrepresentation, but it was the only way that I knew how to remove grip and deal directly with you. I don't know why that would work. I don't understand the logic of this whole plan. Yeah. I like how you betrayed someone who was close to you in order to get do business with us. Yeah. What are you going to do to us to get to the farmers that we employ? The sellers are invited to enjoy tonight's arena deathmatch. Susie enters the ring as one of the fighters and is invited to choose, like Chuck was, from three other fighters in the ring. When Chuck gets here, he's obviously shocked to see her in the ring and she gives him an angry glare. Instead of the men seated across from her, she chooses Chuck for an opponent. For some reason, Eric approves the fight on account of already agreeing to her terms. Chuck enters the ring, still confused, and Susie slides Bonnie's bracelet off the end of her arnis sticks. Chuck is hesitant to fight as she slaps him around the ring, but the fight has begun. He starts the worst apology ever. Hey, look, I'm sorry. What can I say? Which is lazy apologizer code for, can you write me an apology to yourself? <laughs> because I can't defend my actions. It reminds me of Atlantic City when Susan Sarandon's husband cheated with her sister, and he was like, what do you want, an apology? These things happen. <laughs> Finally, Chuck kicks Susie, first in self-defense, but soon after, she drops one of her sticks and the two are full-on fighting, one stick each. Tony and the rest of the police pull up outside the arena, and at the same time, Ray, from Pete's bar, just rides his motorcycle directly into the building through a plate glass window. Pretty sure the doors were open, dude. There's customers (laughs) in here. Back in the ring, after a few more flurries, Susie notices that Chuck has sliced her with his knives and her torso is drenched in blood. Word makes it to the private booth that police have arrived, and they start evacuating. The opponent that Susie rejected tries to keep Ray away from the ring. The suppliers are surrounded and apprehended by the police in the arena's attached restaurant. 
Eric is by himself now in the private box. Ray has taken out three fighters on the sidelines, but more keeps spilling out into the arena for him to fight. One of the fighters grabs a decorative sword off the wall and tries repeatedly to kill Ray, but misses repeatedly, till Ray takes the man out. Ray sees Eric making a run for it with a briefcase of the money meant for the suppliers, but he corners him with the sword. Ray nearly runs him through before Tony shows up with a gun and demands that Ray stop so that Eric can be arrested and properly charged. I feel like if I was right here, just kill the guy. Because yeah. he's rich and he's going to get away with this yeah. if you don't kill him. Just kill him. And, and I feel like there there was this outtake left in the film here where he drops the sword onto the briefcase. And I feel like the sword was supposed to stick into the briefcase. And it he, doesn't. And it doesn't. And it just goes tumbling down the stairs. And the actor who's playing Ray is like looking at the camera like, are we still going? Should I do it again? Yeah. <laughs> he has this bewildered look like, on his that's face. That's a wrap. <laughs> In the ring, Susie is quickly disarmed of both sticks, and Chuck continues slashing at her with his blades. He holds them to either side of her neck and is prepared to slice her throat, but he can't bring himself to do it. Because he loves her. Ah, and now I movie. want these characters to just make it work and get married. After what this is moment. wrong with this movie? They... But for real, they blatantly made him. They they made her lose the fight. She lost. She lost this she fight. She lost. And this bad guy who... Is a better fighter than her. Who Yes, who has just clearly won. Have We've established throughout this entire film that he is evil, has chosen to spare her life. And he's beaten her in every fight they've had. Yes. But Chuck just refused the coup de grace on her because of the power of love. And as he walks away, she kicks him in the back. But then quickly he drops her on her ass again. Like he's not even... Yeah unprepared when he's getting attacked from behind because he turns around and throws her on the ground she's bloodied and bruised everywhere and she can barely see straight but she makes it to one of the arnis sticks and she batters him from the legs up to his ribs laying him out on the ground and before he can recover from that barrage she leaps over him and stabs both arnis sticks into his bulging eye sockets pulverizing what? his eyeballs what like like not only did you just take the bad guy and try to make him good by saying i'm going to spare your life you took our good guy and made them bad you made them a shitty fighter with no dignity and then yeah and so they so they basically have are stabbing him in the back or the eyes and then they're doing it with the weapon that they were supposedly being trained in which was only to be used for yeah, defense. Yeah, it's a defensive weapon. It, they said if we wanted to kill somebody, they'd be pointy. Yeah. You know? But no, no, no. You used this thing that we entrusted you with to defend yourself to kill somebody. But even then, she jammed both of them into his eyes. That wouldn't kill a person. Oh, that you, would blind you. If you jam them hard enough, it's going into I guess if you go brain. down into the brain. It doesn't yeah. look like they went that deep, but maybe they did. But she slowly stands up because pop dies means you're instantly dead. And we hard cut to the credits. And that's the end of the movie. This movie's not worth checking out. Um, I would say that the choreography is pretty bad the whole way through. Yeah. The story is flubbed in that, as we've discussed, the hero should win the last fight. Right. And if they're going to lose it, they should lose it with dignity or for a reason. Instead of just, well, no one's going to believe it if this girl beats a guy in a fight. So let's have him beat her, but then he lets her go, and then she kills him like a chicken shit. It's like, no. No, let's not do that. And also, let's not have the sister be dead the whole time. I mean, like, No, she she was never able to become the hero. Even if you're going to kill her, don't... Because I assume she was dead most of the time until that scene came up and i was like oh they're having her identify the body this is going to be the scene where we find out that she's not dead because Mm -hmm. the whole time i thought she was dead for sure and then i expected it to be she's not dead and she's alive somewhere being held prisoner and then she was going to die before the end of the movie so it's like oh good she was alive oh now she died that's even more tragic that we thought we got to her well and and i was never really clear whether at first whether chuck was a bad guy it was like okay again we saw him murder somebody in the opening in the opening yeah but then it was just like he's trying to be so nice and protective um he's like stopping these drug shipments i don't know like i don't know what's happening yeah um yeah maybe he's also undercover with the police yeah and 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 he's such like a diligent boyfriend where he's like i'm gonna be out of town for a couple of days he, he calls her <laughs> yeah. to yeah. let her know he doesn't just disappear he's he doesn't want her to worry it's like are you a bad guy? And he's also really worried to see her in the ring, not because he's worried for himself, because he's like, I don't want you to be put in harm's way here. Even though he knows she's a fighter. I mean, he's seen her spar. 
He sparred with her, but he literally beats her every but time they won, fight. But he won, so he's like, I'm worried that you aren't going to win this match. Right, exactly. Not great. No, it's not great. I I, I don't know. I, I got nothing. Yeah, it's a thumbs down for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's a thumbs down. Yeah, I got nothing for this. It's like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even really know what to say. I'm flabbergasted. It, it's just it's pointless fights and uh pointless nudity which again can be fun <laughs> but it doesn't have a point it, it's just like what can we do to get her out of the, the only other thing would have been to have her catch fire and quickly tear her clothes off to put it at out at least that might I indicate think, why we call it firecracker here's yeah. the thing though for the nudity stuff there are lots of actresses all over the world that are comfortable doing nudity. You don't yeah. have to take someone who has been very vocal about not wanting to do nudity yeah. and make them do a bunch of nude scenes. I admit that nude scenes make movies better, but it needs to be it needs to be consensual nude scenes. It needs to be a scene where the person is comfortable doing it. And just because they said yes once on set doesn't mean that it's 100% consensual. In the same way that you're not allowed to be a bank manager and tell one of your tellers to take all their clothes off and accept yes as an answer. If they'd have replaced her nudity with four more really gruesome kills, that would have been fine. Yeah. Just do that. Just keep smashing people's faces open. Yeah, because, again, that cop kill, because, again, Suzanne got a cop killed. <laughs> she like, did, yeah. She, well, she, he got himself killed because he was incompetent. Yeah, but she said, those guys are trying to kill me, and I'm 100% sure... She just used the, him as a distraction to get get some more distance. That guy took a, an armed a guard gun. night job yeah. in security, mm-hmm. and he was not trained to do that. That's his bad. It's his bad that he died. <laughs> it's 100% on him. Really? Yeah, not okay. even the people who killed him. Because <laughs> he had a gun pointed at them, and they walked right up to him, and he just let them. He, he, he let did. them do it. I don't, oh god it's so sad and they cut to him two other times yeah during this fight because she keeps they keep going past his body and then did you see when they later in the movie there's a scene where they're going past that same warehouse place and you see his family and his kids crying outside <laughs> that's not true i made that up but yeah there's not much else to this movie it's three locations they're just going back and forth between the bar and the arena and the wilderness and it's dumb I think we all said thumbs down. What What is the letterboxed ruling, Jess? Uh, I have it pretty low. I have it 47 out of 51. It is below Pinball Summer. Oh, sorry. It is below Scared to Death and above Hard Country. All right. I also have it at 47. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> uh, but mine is below Bloody Birthday and above Maniac. I have it in 39th place which is just under earthbound and just above ruckus so Wait, thir- 39 out of 50 you liked this better than ruckus that's wrong no that's right no yeah no <laughs> ruckus at least had entertainingly weird explosions and stuff there was firecrackers in this in the beginning <laughs> In the opening title sequence, that's true. There were fi- there were explosions, and a, and a weirdo that wants raw meat. Okay, I'll bump it down one. <laughs> okay, so now it's in fortieth out of fifty one, which puts it just under ruckus, yeah, and above backroads, which I'm totally comfortable with. Yeah, sure, that's fine. That's fine. Um, our writer, story, and director here was Sirio H. Santiago. His father, Doctor. Siriaco Santiago founded Premier Productions in Manila, a film studio in the Philippines. Sirio followed his father's footsteps in the industry and eventually made a name for himself directing English language black exploitation features in the 70s, including TNT Jackson and Ebony Ivory and Jade. He had a longtime partnership with Roger Corman and through that connection provided early work for filmmakers Jonathan Demi and Joe Dante. His best known film is 1978's Death Force. Though one of our Twitter buddies, Chris Bench, watched a bunch of Santiago's work during quarantine and recommended to me 1976's The Mothers as one of his best. That's Mothers with a U. What? <laughs> I'm sorry, where's the U? Where the O would be. Okay. <laughs> Mothers. <laughs> no, Mothers. 
Writer and story were from Ken Metcalf. He played Sid in TNT Jackson, which he also wrote. He played Eric, the arena boss in this film, so he co-wrote and he played Eric. We'll see him again later this season as Elliot in Enter the Ninja. Additional scenes were provided by Alan Holtzman. He directs his first film, Forbidden World, next season, though he was employed by producer Roger Corman to write and direct the nude and underwear scenes for this film. He also edited Cloud Dancer for a minisode earlier this year and Battle Beyond the Stars last year. Jillian Kesner played Suzanne Carter. She's Cookie Winchell in Raw Force. She and her husband Gary Graver worked together preserving the works of Orson Welles. She's probably best known for playing Lorraine, Fonzie's girlfriend, on Happy Days. She sadly passed away at 58 from a staph infection contracted during treatment for leukemia. Darby Hinton played Chuck Donner. About a year ago, he played Cole Younger in a film called Bill Tillman and the Outlaws. We previously saw Cole Younger, played by David Carradine in 1980's The Long Riders, and Bill Tillman was just played by Rod Steiger in Catalanian Little Britches. Coincidentally, he's currently working on a film called COVID-2021, starring David Carradine's younger brother Robert, who was also in Long Riders as Bob Younger, and it stars Felissa Rose from Sleepaway Camp. Hmm. He also plays Cody Abilene P.I., the lead character of Andy Sedaris's Malibu Express. Classic film. Don Gordon Bell played Gladiator. I assume that's one of the fighters that we see. Uh, he's back as one of Venarius's men in Enter the Ninja later this year. And Jim Gaines played another Gladiator, and he's also one of Venarius's men in Enter the Ninja later this year. So they had the same role in that movie and the same role in this movie. But in that movie, they sound like a disease. <laughs> Um, those are all the credits I have for this one. There's not a lot of people that had second credits that, um, I recognized or were worth bringing up. So I think that's everything for Firecracker. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We also have a Discord now. You can join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at vintagevideopodcast.com slash discord. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Graduation Day, which IMDb describes like so. A masked killer begins murdering students on the school track team. After a track, that's what it says. <laughs> After a track runner dies upon completion of a 30-second, 200-meter race, I didn't measure the race. Yeah, but I can confirm that the killer is hardly ever wearing a mask. There is a mask for one scene. But is there yeah. a mask? Oh, okay. There's a fencing helmet for one scene. Sure. Which I guess is a mask of sorts, but uh, yeah, it's not a masked we, killer. We, do, I, I call, we say, do call them masks when you wear. But people yeah. recognize this person in multiple yeah. scenes. I, I would say an obscured, like, like because you, you just don't see but his face. I, but I don't think it is always obscured. It's obscured to us because we're seeing the person's POV. POV. But, the but people, everyone else the people seem to them. recognize yeah. the person yeah. when they see the person. Yeah. That but they refuse us. To, they re- <laughs> we'll get into that. Sorry. I, I was <laughs> Next like, episode, everyone. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Tune in next time for Graduation Day. We leave you now with a trailer for Graduation Day. There are 200 seniors at Midvale High and seven days till graduation. <laughs> the class of 81 is going out in style and they're having the time of their life. It's been a great year for Midvale High. The track team finished first in the state. Then again, Midvale always produces winners. Sally Prescott is the top gymnast in the school. She plans to go to college in the fall. Castoff won five cross-country events in the past year. She jogs to school every morning. Ralph Johnson is the football team's star halfback. Pete McFarlane set the state record in the pole vault. Tony and Dolores were king and queen of the prom. The class of 81's being fitted for caps and gowns. 
and coffins. There's 200 seniors at Midvale High and seven days till graduation. Too bad there'll be no one to celebrate with. Graduation Day.